Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode was recorded on Thursday, September 20th, 2018. We're going to talk about what seems to be a fairly significant algorithm update. Um, I have some interesting thoughts from Google on whether or not the Quality Raters Guidelines info actually reflects what Google's algorithms do. Um, we'll talk a little bit about content pruning and um, some other really neat tips from things that Google employees have said. So hopefully um, you'll find this interesting. So let's talk uh, a little bit about the latest algorithm updates. Um, in doing my research for uh, looking at sites that we have analytics access to, it was really, really apparent that there was something that happened on September 17th. Uh, so just a few days ago, that's three days before I'm recording this uh, podcast episode. So we don't have a whole lot of data to tell us what's happening. But one of the things that I noticed is that a large number of sites that we monitor saw really nice increases that started on September 17th. Um, so that's a little bit of a humble brag that we, we've seen uh, a number of our clients that we've been helping to improve site quality quality saw some bumps up at this time. Some of them saw just a slight increase, but it's very obvious that it started on September 17th. I have just one site in my analytics that saw a significant drop on that date. Um, and this is a site that we just recently did a site quality review for. They haven't implemented, as far as I can tell, they haven't implemented any of our uh, fixes. Um, this particular site had issues that we would relate to trust. Uh, they had something where people would go to the site for information and then they would be asked for uh, to provide personal information on a level that really, in our opinion, wasn't necessary for um, the information that people wanted for that site. And so I feel like that's why that site is seeing further drops. Like Google's saying, look, people don't want to, you know, if I'm looking for information, I don't want to be sold stuff. It's fine to have links to your sales pages or to even have calls to action. But if it's just being, if users are being bombarded with, you know, buy this, buy this, join our, um, you know, our sign up for our program, give us your credit card before you get any information, that type of thing, then that seems to be the type of thing that Google is uh, not wanting to reward these days. Um, with that said, though, there was one site in my analytics uh, access that I have that saw a really significant increase on September 17th that doesn't seem to be a seasonal increase. And this site, we hadn't worked on doing any uh, site quality work. Instead, what we were doing was a link audit for this site. Um, and so this was a site, we've, we've started doing a few more link audits now, and this is a site that really had a manipulative link profile. When you look at it, it's the type of thing that you definitely would not want the web spam team to see. And I'm not talking about, you know, spammy um, porn links and uh, negative SEO type links. These were links that were made for SEO reasons. Um, if I recall right, I think the site had a lot of article links uh, sort of under the guise of guest posting. We're going to talk a little bit more about guest posting later in this episode. But um, they had a lot of links that were made by SEO companies that probably worked in the past to improve their rankings. And uh, this site, so we filed the disavow, um, I want to say early August. It may have been late July uh, for them. And um, they saw a really big increase on September 17th. So it's possible that this update had a link component to it. I'm hopefully going to have more information for you on that next week uh, as we have more data by that time. 
Um, I think there was also another update, uh, and I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, sometime between September 8th to 11th, and it looks like there might be a local component to this. So uh, there's a good thread that I've linked to from the newsletter on the local search forum, um, which by the way has just recently been bought by Joy Hawkins, which is really exciting because I think Joy, um, you know, will do a lot of great stuff with the forum. Uh, and there, that's a, if you have questions about local search, I would highly recommend checking out this forum. There's a lot of uh, practitioners who day in and day out do local search and they seem to be very eager to answer people's questions in there. So there's a little plug in for the uh, the local search forum. But there's a thread there about this September 8th to 11th update and there's some really nice screenshots from Colin Nielsen where he uh, shows sites that um, on the August 1st update or July 31st, which was when it hit local, saw uh, changes where one of the examples that he gave us was that uh, one of these sites, their uh, local rankings, so their maps rankings dropped on August 1st, but their organic rankings went up. And then with this September 8th to, I think it was September 10th, he said, uh, the opposite happened. They saw an increase in uh, local rankings and a drop in organic rankings. So I don't have an answer for you as to what's happening here. But if you do do SEO for local businesses, or if you are a local business and you're doing your own SEO, you may want to look and see what happened uh, with rankings between, you know, this September 8th to 11th time frame. Um, it's hard to say what was being affected here. I really don't have good data on this, uh, but it does look like something significant was happening here. Um, let's talk about, there was an article on CNBC and it was an interview with uh, a Google employee and they were actually, uh, some of the CNBC team members were invited to sit in on a meeting that Google had, and it was a meeting about algorithm changes. So I would love to be a fly on the wall when Google makes algorithm changes. Uh, the author of this article said, you know, the meeting was actually kind of boring. Uh, they talked about all these different tests that were done and how the tests reflected what they wanted to see. Um, and so there, this article, I really recommend reading it. I think it's one of the best um, mainstream SEO articles that I've, I've I've read this year. And what I found interesting was they talked about the quality raters and they had a quote from uh, Ben Gomes, who is um, a vice president of search at Google. And uh, so I've got, I'm not going to read the whole quote in this podcast, but the part that really, really uh, was significant to me was this is what Ben said. Uh, when people were asked about, uh, you know, people ask, you know, are the quality raters guidelines actually what Google's doing in their algorithms. And I just had a conversation with somebody on Twitter today where he said, you know, I don't think EAT is a real thing. It's just something that you SEOs have made up. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's all over the quality raters guidelines. So here's the statement from Ben Gomes from Google. He says, you can view the rater guidelines as where we want the search algorithm to go. They don't tell you how the algorithm is ranking results, but they fundamentally show what the algorithm should do. So that's really significant to me. Uh, and this is the premise that we've been going on for the last couple of years while we're doing these reviews and really, really focusing heavily on what's in the quality raters guidelines. Uh, because, you know, Google is saying, this is what we consider to be high quality. 
in uh, a website. And so if Google tells me that it's very important uh, to have good reviews for my business or that it's very important that uh, if I'm a your money or your life site that I, um, you know, it, it could really help me if I have a Wikipedia mention, you know, that's in the quality raters guidelines. It makes sense to me that these are things that are part of Google's algorithms. Now, I think there are parts of the quality raters guidelines that we don't know if they're measured algorithmically. I mean, for example, one of the things that's in a few places in the quality raters guidelines is the importance of seeing a terms and conditions page. Um, and so the raters are instructed to find the terms and conditions page and to determine whether, uh, I mean, if it's appropriate, to determine whether it's clear what the company's refund policy is. Um, and so does Google look at that algorithmically? I don't know. But we've been recommending in our site quality reviews that there is a clear terms and conditions page, that it's easily found, so usually a link from the footer will work, and that it's in Google's index. Um, you know, a lot of people will no index these pages or they'll uh, put a no-followed link because they think, well, we don't want Google to crawl these pages that, you know, people wouldn't want to land on from search. But the reality is that I think that uh, Google's guidelines are looking for this kind of thing. And so I would like them to be able to see our terms and conditions pages. Um, so, you know, I think this is a really interesting article. And I know I sound like a broken record talking about the quality raters guidelines. But we have really seen a lot of sites that have made improvements. And the vast majority of our advice that we're giving these days is based on things that are in these guidelines. So I would not ignore them. I, I think that this is where SEO is going. And so um, I really think that those of you who are paying attention to these guidelines are, uh, you know, you're above... Uh, average in terms of uh, what SEO knowledge people have. So uh, definitely, I mean, I'm probably biased because we've been spending so much time on these, but I really think that they're um, a good way to look at what Google expects to see as quality in websites. So Google uh, commented in the same article that they're using very limited search personalization these days. So if you remember back in 2012, Google made, it, made a change where uh, people would see personalized search results. So, and this still happens to some extent. Um, I see it all the time where somebody says, hey, we're ranking like number two for this main keyword. And then when I do a search for it, I see them on like page three. Uh, and what often is happening here is Google is saying, ah, I recognize that you often, when you search this keyword, you click on this result. And so we're going to show you this result higher. Um, and I don't know, I guess maybe they're doing less of that these days. So something to take note of. I don't think we're going to make, change, make any major changes to our processes on this uh, information, but still interesting to know. Somebody asked John Mueller in a help hangout uh, whether it was okay to block traffic that comes from the United States. So I think if I recall right, I think this website was in India uh, and they didn't want for whatever reason to have traffic from the U.S. And what John said is that uh, you have to remember that Googlebot crawls from the U.S. So if you're blocking U.S. traffic, you're going to block Googlebot from actually seeing your site. Uh, and I think the question was, you know, why doesn't Google crawl from other countries? And what John said was it would get kind of crazy, you know, if they had to have um, all these different places that they crawl from and, you know, there's so many different countries that wouldn't make sense. So you really do not want to block uh, visitors from the United States as you would end up blocking Google and that will probably have a serious impact on uh, your ability to rank. Um, 
There was an interesting thing uh, that somebody on Twitter found was um, if you search for, this is fixed now, but if you search for the words compare the market, uh, Google actually served up an error. It says server error. We're sorry, but it appears there's been an error while processing your request. Um, And then there were no results on that page. So that's not something I've seen before, but it's a reminder that, I mean, Google is just another website and engineers make mistakes. and, uh, And so that's a mistake that seemed to happen. Um, I did find it interesting. I think the tweet came from somebody who actually works for comparethemarket.com. Um, so that's really not a good error for Google to have for, uh, you know, for a while people couldn't, they would search the brand name and couldn't find this particular business. Uh, looks like that's fixed now though. A whole bunch of sites got emails saying uh, that they've been moved to mobile-first indexing. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the past, but I'm going to go over it again because I'm getting a lot of emails uh, and tweets with people asking questions about this. So mobile-first indexing. It's important to know that this is not the same thing as mobile friendliness. So you know that Google has this test that you can do. If you search for mobile friendly test, um, there's a tool that's run by Google and you can put your site in there and it'll tell you whether your site is mobile friendly. However, that has very little to do, if anything, with mobile first indexing. So mobile first indexing means that uh, Google currently, prior to mobile first indexing, they gather all the information for your website from a desktop crawl. And what that means is that Google crawls the desktop version of your site. And then it figures out, oh, okay, well, this key, these keywords are on the page. This page is about this topic, you know, things like that. Um, and that's the information that they use in order to determine where you rank and, and who to send to your website. And they want to change that so that all of those decisions are based on the mobile version of your site. So if you've been moved to mobile first indexing, what that means is that now Google makes all their decisions based on your mobile version. For most sites, this really shouldn't cause any difference. Um, So if you receive the email saying that you've been moved to mobile first indexing, you probably won't see any change. Um, Google really only wants to move sites when they're certain that they can do it in a way that's not going to impact your rankings. With that said, I have one site that I've talked about several times before that um, had different navigation in mobile as compared to desktop. And uh, this site saw drops in many keywords when they were moved to mobile first indexing. And we've since then uh, replaced the links so that it is equivalent on desktop and mobile. And uh, the rankings have returned. So mind you, in the meantime, there have been several algorithm updates. And so we can't say 100% was it the links that caused the problem. Um, That said, I think if you did get a mobile first indexing notification, you need to go into Google Analytics and make an annotation that just says, hey, we've been moved to mobile first indexing on this day. An important thing to note, though, is that even if you have been moved to mobile first indexing, it doesn't mean that um, that happened on that particular day. So... um, John Mueller has said before that the switch could have happened days or weeks before. Uh, I saw one person posting on Twitter today that they looked at their log files and they were they got the email 
uh, like yesterday. And the move seems to have happened, you know, two weeks ago. Um, so that's interesting. We're going to do some tests here. Uh, I already did look at some log files for some of our sites that were moved. Um, and things don't really line up 100% with what Google's saying. Uh, John Mueller had said that when you're moved to mobile first indexing, that you should um, see that 80% of the crawling of your site is done on Googlebot for smartphones, uh, whereas previously 20% of the crawling should have been for smartphone. And I see that in a couple of the sites that were moved, but my own site, mariehaines.com, is kind of 50-50 desktop and mobile crawling. So uh, I'll hopefully have more information on that for you um, in uh, maybe next week. We'll see. Another thing to know is that once you've been moved to mobile-first indexing, you're not going to be able to see the cached version of your site on Google. So right now, you can type in cache, C-A-C-H-E, colon, and no space, and then just put in the URL of a page on your site or anybody's site. And if you haven't been moved to mobile-first indexing, you'll see um, the cached version of your site, and you'll see a little thing at the top of the screen that says the last date that, uh, or the date on which the cache was, was gathered. And that's generally the last date on which Google crawled that page, although they sometimes can crawl it and not do a cached version. But if you've been moved to mobile-first indexing, you're going to see a 404 error on that page, and that really doesn't mean anything. So I've had people ask, you know, does this mean that there's a problem with my site? Do I need to change anything? And no, this is actually an issue on Google's side. Um, I had one person ask me on Twitter whether, well, how now do we know when Google last crawled a page? And this is something that you can find in the new Google Search Console. You can use the URL um, I, uh, information page that is uh, in Search Console and um, URL inspection, that's what it is. Uh, and it'll say the date that the page was last crawled. So obviously you can't do that for competitors' pages, but if you're trying to figure out when your page was last crawled, that's the best way to do it. Interesting information on AMP, and Google had a big announcement that AMP is moving towards, or Google's moving towards, an open governance model. Now, um, I'm not going to go into great detail about this because only a small fraction of you are actually interested in AMP news, but if you do have a significant AMP component on your site, uh, it's worthwhile reading this. The idea is, um, as Aleda Solis tweeted, she said, this eliminates the biggest argument against AMP because people were saying, look, AMP is essentially a Google product. Project. Uh, and so, you know, we're giving our content to Google and they can do whatever they want with it. And so now this adds a little bit of transparency, um, makes it just, a, you know, a little bit better and not such a, a Google controlled uh, situation. So that was, uh, I found that kind of interesting. Um, those of you who submit URLs to Bing, uh, Bing has taken the steps that Google took, uh, you know, a few months ago and took away the ability to publicly submit URLs via their tool. Uh, you can still do that via Bing Webmaster Tools as far as I know. So, uh, but again, you can't submit URLs from somebody else's site um, if that's something that you have been doing. Uh, a few things. Um, there's some new 
featured snippet things that I don't think we've talked about before. Uh, these things called IQ bubbles. And this is going to be kind of hard to explain on a podcast. You may need to go to the newsletter, um, mariehaines.com slash newsletter, in order to see the images that kind of go along with this discussion. The point is, though, that in some featured snippets, you'll see these little bubbles underneath the featured snippet now with related snippets. And if you click on those, then they will uh, turn into a new featured snippet. Um, and so this makes it harder and harder that if you're ranking organically, you know, let's say you have the number one organic ranking for your main keyword, but you don't have the featured snippet. Uh, so now that featured snippet, it also has all these little IQ bubbles uh, that people can click on. And that just makes it that much less likely that you're going to get a click on your organic result. So, um, you know, the featured snippet algorithm changes dramatically. Uh, we have had some decent success with helping clients win featured snippets, but it's touch and go. I mean, sometimes uh, what we, you know, what we used to use a year ago doesn't always work so well now. So um, featured snippets, you know, if you can win them, that's good. They're also really good for voice search. So if uh, that's where Google gets most of their answers for voice search is in whatever the featured snippet is. Um, I thought it was interesting. Somebody uh, pointed out that Google is buying links again. And they showed an example of a place where Google had sponsored uh, a company with a significant sponsor. I think it was like $20,000. Uh, and then they got a link back to their site. So important to know is that when Google penalizes for link buying, it's not for stuff like this. I mean, you're not going to go around making $20,000 donations so that you can get a single link. Um, now, if there's a pattern, you know, if Google's seeing that the vast majority of links that are pointing to your site are ones that came from sponsorships, then that's something that potentially could open up a manual action for you. Um, what Google's looking for is intent. Uh, and so it was really clear that, um, you know, in linking, in in getting this, uh, giving this donation, it's not like Google was trying to improve their rankings, which as an interesting uh, point, I've, I've said this before, but it fascinates me that if you actually do a search for search engine, Google is not on the first page. I think they've moved to page two, but for a while they were on page three or four. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I'm sure people don't Google search engine and expect to uh, find, oh, here's this Google thing. I think that could be interesting. But still, um, you know, so don't worry about, like, if you have the odd sponsored link, that's not going to cause you a penalty. But if your intent is to do it on a large scale to help with rankings, that's where you need to worry a little bit. There was a question on Twitter. Somebody was asking, how do you block Google from crawling your PDFs? If that's something you want to do, then Joe Hall uh, pointed out that you can use a wildcard in your robots.txt file. So your robots.txt file is a file that tells bots what part of the site they can crawl and other things like that. And so what Joe said is you can actually just write in your robots file, disallow, um, and then slash asterisk.pdf. And that'll keep bots, bots that obey the robots.txt, uh, but Google generally does, from crawling those PDF files. So a lot of people didn't know that, that you can uh, actually disallow certain file types from being crawled. Somebody asked John Mueller whether uh, WordPress gives people a ranking advantage. I remember years ago when I would publish something on my WordPress blog, it would be indexed like really, really fast and it would rank well. Um, and I feel like that benefit seems to have been removed somehow. Um, I think, you know, most 
platforms are pretty similar in terms of what they offer for SEO. Uh, some of the free website builders really aren't that great. Um, John Mueller said that WordPress is awesome, but there's no WordPress ranking advantage. So now one good thing about WordPress though is that there are lots of really good SEO plugins. Uh, we use Yoast uh, for most of our sites and uh, there's so many things that you can do with that that you can't do with some of the other site builders. So uh, WordPress is good, but there's no magical ranking benefit by using it. Um, let's talk about content pruning. We've had this discussion lots of as to, you know, when you see thin content on your website, do you need to take it out or do you need to improve it? And here's a quote from John Mueller when he was asked about this in a help hangout. He said, quote, one approach is to spend time to improve this content. And the other approach might be from a practical point of view where you say, well, I know this content is terrible content and I don't have time to improve this and I don't have time to focus on this. Then maybe removing it is a good idea. Um, he said, if you're aware that this content is bad or low quality or thin, uh, then that's how you're presenting yourself to search engines. You can address that by removing the bad content or you can handle that by improving the bad content and both are appropriate responses. Uh, and he said, for example, some, sometimes there are practical reasons to go one way or the other. For example, if you have millions and millions of pages that are really thin content, then maybe it's not practical to improve all of those. So there's more in the newsletter on that, but um, we've been saying this for a long time. I mean, if you have content that's thin. So that's content that people would really not get value out of if they landed on it from search. Then if it's possible to improve that content, do it. But if not, you need to get it out of Google's index because every page of your site that's in Google's index is used in their assessment of quality for your site. Uh, so you don't want to have millions or hundreds of thousands of thin pages in the index. Um, Let's talk again about guest posting. And I mean, I've talked about this a lot, uh, but there was an interesting quote again from John Mueller where somebody was asked whether uh, it was okay to guest post to get a link. And here's what John said. I would make sure that you're not doing guest posting on other people's sites just to get a link to your site. That's something that the web spam team does sometimes look at and see if there are essentially links that you're placing yourself. If you're placing all of these links yourself, they're not really natural links. And I just wanted to repeat that because I still see it. And we're doing link audits and we're seeing people are engaging with SEO companies and their main tactic of getting links is to guest post on a really, really large scale. So if you're a small business, I think it makes sense to try to do some guest posts on local uh blogs and, and maybe, uh, you know, sites that are related to your niche. Um, but my recommendations for guest posting are to only do it uh, if you think that people are going to be actually clicking on that link and that it could bring you customers. So, um, you know, I'm going to talk more about this at PubCon Vegas, but uh, there's a patent that says if, if lots of links are pointing to a site and nobody's clicking on that link, then that page could be considered spam. Um, so, Anyways, I mean, I, I'm not completely against guest posting, but if you're doing it on a, on a large scale, then it's something that is risky and you can definitely get a penalty or what's happening in a lot of cases, I believe, is that Google is just completely ignoring those links. So you're spending a lot of money and time doing things that probably aren't going to help improve your, your rankings. 
Uh, looks like Bing is now showing AMP in their search results for, for mobile. So that's uh, exciting news for those of you who are AMP supporters. Not so good news for those of you who are not fans of AMP. Um, important to know that Screaming Frog, so Screaming Frog is a tool that allows you to crawl your website and gives you a lot of really good information about it. They've got a huge update. Um, so now Screaming Frog has crawl maps, uh, very similar to Sitebulb. We've been playing around with them a little bit and I, I really like them. They're, um, they, they, they seem to be quite good. Um, hopefully I'll be able to publish some information on that soon. And there's a bunch of other stuff. There's something about uh, internal link score that I really want to look at as well. Um, so way to go Sitebulb. Um, Sitebulb has a free and a paid version. The free version, if I recall right, only allows you to crawl it's something like 500 or maybe a thousand pages um, of a website. And it doesn't give you some of these new uh, benefits like the crawl maps. So uh, the paid version, I want to say it's 149 pounds. Um, so, you know, it's not cheap. But it's uh, that'll give you a license for a year. So um, those of you who do audit work, you probably already have a Screaming Frog license, and uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um, let's see, local SEO. Um, there's a new feature with Google My Business that uh, you can apparently now put in... Uh, potential future opening day. So if you have a new business that isn't quite open yet, but you want to get a Google My Business pro profile, then that sounds like the way to do it. Uh, and then you can say opening soon in your profile. Um, good question here. Can you run a contest to get more reviews? Uh, so Rob May had tweeted this uh, thing to uh, Google My Business, and it was a site that basically said, um, you know, we, you can do this contest to win this big prize and all you need to do is leave us a five-star review. Well, I mean, obviously that's against Google's guidelines. Um, and so one of the things that I really like to do is instead of incentivizing users to leave a review, incentivize your staff to foster more reviews. So, you know, if you have a receptionist and your receptionist knows which customers had a good experience with you, then the receptionist should be saying like, hey, here's a way to leave a review for us. They can have a handout. You could do it via email. Um, but I've seen some companies that have done this where they've actually had contests to see which employees could get more customers leaving reviews. Uh, that's within Google's guidelines. So I would recommend doing that. Um, Let's see. And one last thing is Joy Hawkins noted that uh, if you're experiencing issues accepting Google My Business invitations, it's a bug. And so Google's working on it. Uh, so if you've had issues with that, then uh, it's not you, it's Google. So that's all we're going to talk about for this week. I have a very busy week coming up next week. I'm going to be speaking at uh, Brighton SEO and also at Optimize uh, a couple days before Brighton. Um, and so that means I'm going to have limited availability for communication over the next week. Uh, my team will still be hard at work here in our office in Ottawa. Um, and if you are going to Brighton, I would love for you to uh, come up and say hi. Tell me that you're a listener to the podcast um, and let me know what you like about the podcast and give me any suggestions if you want to see something different. Um, if you want to reach me, it's mariehaines.com slash contact. And one of my team members will uh, uh, be able to um, hopefully help, help you out with your issues. And um, uh, yeah, if you want to read the newsletter, it's mariehaines.com slash newsletter. So that's all we have for this week. I wish you the best of luck with rankings for the next week and we'll talk soon.